has just been, been just wonderful and uh, heaven sent. So we're thankful this week. We've gotten to see uh, that, that Christ must be the focus in the church at all times, all places. Last night we got reminded uh, about the way that God recycles us and uses us and, and, and wants to use us. And so praise the Lord for that. And tonight, I don't know what we're going to get, but uh, Pastor John, you'll know either. <laughs> we're there for a wild ride tonight, ain't we? But, no, it'll be good. I'm excited to have Pastor John Tilly with us tonight. He's from Bethel Baptist. If you're from Bethel Baptist tonight, throw your hand up tonight. Hey, good crowd tonight. Welcome, y'all. Thank y'all for coming out and supporting Brother John and uh, looking forward as well next week to go over there and support them for their revival. And uh, they got some, some ugly creature preaching one of those nights. It's me, so I can say it. It's all right. <laughs> Everybody else preaching that week probably look a lot better, probably preach better too, but I'm looking forward to being with you next week. But we're glad that you're here with us tonight. Just a reminder as well, uh, love offering, uh, grab an envelope on a pew. If you don't have one on your pew, steal it from another pew and mark on their revival. Drop it off in one of our uh, boxes here. There's one in the back, two up front this way, and uh, that will work, all right? Uh, but here tonight, before we sing... And uh, we'll have, uh, as well as a special here in a little bit, looking forward to that. And before Pastor John comes and preaches, we just want to open up uh, with a word of prayer, ask the Lord to bless this night. And, and let's as well tonight, just remember, third night, let's ask this, and it's okay. How many of y'all are tired? All right. How many of y'all are not being honest? <laughs> That's what I thought. I know, uh, I've noticed this for some reason in my entire life, it's always that third night of revival that everyone's kind of just going, oh, it's, it, it starts to hit you a little bit. But you know what? I believe that because you're here by faith, the Lord will give you what you need tonight. He'll give you strength, and he'll give you what you need from the Word. So praise God for that. Let's just go to the Lord, ask him for what we need tonight, but as well, let's praise him for what he's given to us already. Uh, let's not forget what God is, is doing and, and is going to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this night. God, thank you for each one uh, that's here tonight. Lord, it's such an encouragement just to see a great turnout from both churches and, Lord, just from folks just want to hear your word preached. God, we should never tire of hearing what you have to say to us. Lord, all the more, Lord, as these days are approaching, we should want to gather together to hear your word, to encourage one another. And, Lord, it's been an encouragement uh, just this week and this time just to take time out from our, our life. And, Lord, that we're, we're tired tonight, so we pray for physical strength, spiritual strength, that you would nourish us, fill us up, give us what is needed. Be with Pastor John tonight, God, that you would give him uh, just a, a liberty and an unction from your spirit to preach your word tonight, God, that you'd give him every word that is needed, that he would open up his mouth, that you would speak to us, Lord, that your spirit would work in us and through us and for us, and God, that you would draw us to, to yourself, Lord, that you'd be glorified tonight. Lord, we just praise you, Lord, for the week that we've had. We praise you, God, just for the work that you've been doing in the life of your church. And Lord, you always hold up to the end of your promises, and we thank you for that. We thank you for what you're going to do tonight, God, for what you're going to do tomorrow night, what you're going to do come Sunday what you're going to do the week after that and the week after that, God. Help us just to praise you, to be thankful tonight, and Lord, that we would receive all things uh, from your word, Lord, by faith. We do pray that tonight as we listen to your word, as we stand, as we sing, God, that you'd be honored, that you'd be glorified tonight in all things. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's good to be in the Lord's house. And if you're able, please stand. And we will sing hymn number 430, hymn number 430. And uh, you might think that I designed this right here, Shire's a Blessing, and it's raining outside, but I don't have no credit for that. God designed that. Amen. He sends it rain, and he picked the songs. So there shall be showers of blessing. You think that's a big fib? Now, this, these uh, songs wasn't picked till last week, latter part of last week, so you figure the rest of it out. That's, that's God's doing, ain't it? Praise the Lord. There shall be showers of blessing. I will cause the shower to come down. There shall be showers of blessing. Ezekiel 34, 26. As we sing all four verses. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing Sent from the Savior above Showers of blessing Showers of blessing we need Mercy drops round us are falling 
But for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain, showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need, mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we there shall be showers of blessing, send them upon us, O Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing, come and now honor your word. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy dropped round us are falling. But for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing. Oh, that today they might fall. Now as to God we're confessing. Now as on Jesus we call. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. God's mercy. Praise the Lord for his mercy. Amen. We've got his mercy one more day because we all still here. Amen. Hymn number 330. 330. Are you washed in the blood? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? His holy righteous, sinless uh, blood. There's many other words, but I went blank there for a second. But uh, holy and righteous and sinless and, and good, our Savior died for us, shedding his perfect, sinless blood. Uh, Revelation seven fourteen tells us they have washed their robes and made them white. And the blood of the Lamb. That makes me smile. Praise the Lord. All four verses. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood and the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your Spotless are they white as snow Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh Will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bright And be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood and the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood and the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Amen. You've done a good job. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. All right, we've got a real special musician, a special song, special singing here for the Lord's honor and glory. A man by the name of Tony Hicks. <laughs> Tony's my buddy. I got to pick a little bit at him. He, he really does a good job. Y'all give him a big hand. By that, I think he's got some ocean property in Arizona. <laughs> well, good evening. Good to good to be here tonight, and I sure have enjoyed this week, ain't y'all? I'm gonna sing a completely different song, but Lord laid this one on my heart. Um, JL got to talking about the. Uh, the blood, as we just sang about, and uh, I once heard a preacher say, he said, if the, if the atonement of Christ, if the blood of Christ is not good enough, I have no shot. And I think there's a lot of truth in that, because um, the Bible tells us our righteousness is as filthy rags. We, there's nothing we can do to atone for our sin, but if you haven't tonight, put your faith, put your trust in the blood of Jesus.
First verse with me. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilt. Stains lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Thanks. Right, amen. Appreciate that, Tony. Always love it when uh, Tony sings, and, and appreciate that song. One of my favorites. Well, I get to introduce uh, Pastor John Tilly. Uh, I love Pastor John because Pastor John is doing what I've done twice. You're the young new guy. <laughs> I'm glad you're the younger and newer guy in town. I, I'm thankful for Pastor John because Pastor John has things as a newer, younger guy that I didn't have when I was a newer, younger guy. He knows the importance of praying that I didn't know. He knows the importance of patience and trusting God that I didn't know. Basically, Pastor John has a whole lot better of a start than what I did, and I'm excited for what, what the Lord is doing through him and is going to do through him. And I'm, I'm thankful to have someone right up the road that we're not in a bit of competition with, but I can support him and want to encourage him as much as possible. And I'm thankful and I'm excited for what he's got tonight. So, Pastor John, you come and you lay it on him, all right? Thank you, brother. Well, amen. Good evening. And uh, thank you for being in your place tonight and supporting your pastor. I love Pastor Joe. And. Uh, Listen, there are two, there's churches all across America tonight and tomorrow night and again on Sunday. They will meet and they will meet in one of two places. They will either meet with no pastor, no under-shepherd, nobody to lead the flock. And I feel sorry for those churches. I really do. My heart hurts for those churches. A big reason of why I'm at Bethel Baptist Church is because it was a church in that situation. And uh, God put it on our heart to come fill that gap. So my heart hurts for those churches. The other situation, though, I think is worse. And that is that those churches will meet with a pastor who has a title. He has the position of pastor, but he is not seeking the Lord's will, and he is not leading that church in the direction they need to go. And I, my heart hurts even worse for those churches. So you, Victory Way Baptist Church, tonight you have a pastor who loves God, who's seeking God, who's leading you in the way after the Lord. You ought to encourage him and love on him and his wife. 
Let them know how much they mean to you. Thank the Lord for them. And I know that will mean a lot to Him. And uh, it will it'll be a blessing to you. Don't take for granted the fact that you have a God-fearing pastor in the pulpit. And uh, I know the Lord will bless you uh, to that end. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you, Bethel Baptist Church, for coming out. Several of y'all have came out supporting me tonight. Really appreciate y'all being here. God's doing a wonderful work across town. I know He's working here, and He is working across town as well. And we're excited to see what God is doing. Listen, you guys are not our competition. We are not your competition. In fact, if I see any of your faces show up on Sunday morning, I'm going to tell you, go get back in your car and grow to Victory Way. <laughs> get over there to Victory Way Baptist Church. I'm joking. Kind of. Hey, we need, to, we need to support one another. Churches need to bond together. We need to live in the unity that we have in Jesus Christ and uh, support one another. And I believe that the Lord wants to do something in our town. And we both play a part in that. And so I'm, I'm so excited to be here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to preach, Pastor Joe and uh, church family. Uh, really thankful for it. Let's do this. Let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into John chapter 13. Heavenly Father, I love you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I'm so unworthy, Father, but I'm so grateful for the opportunity to stand and preach your word. Father, I pray tonight that as we open your word and we preach this message, that you would be honored, you would be glorified, in all that's done, you would be edified. May your people be united, and may we choose to follow you like never before. Father, we need you in this nation, we need you in the world, we need you in this city, we need you in this county. I know if this church is anything like my church, then Father, we need you in our church. We need your power, we need your presence. Help me as I preach tonight, Father, that I would communicate clearly, that I would communicate correctly. I don't want to do any misjustice to your word. I pray that it would be clear, that it would convict our hearts. We give you all of the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. How close to God are you tonight? How close to God are you tonight? You say, well, Pastor John, that's kind of a difficult question to answer. That's a little bit subjective, isn't it? Because God is a spirit. And so, you know, the way that we measure our closeness to God can be somewhat subjective. So how do we really answer the question, how close to God am I? Well, I'm going to submit to you tonight that it's answered a lot more simply than we might think at first. And in fact, the question, how close to God are you tonight, I think is best answered with another question. And that question is this, how close to God do you want to be tonight? How close to God do you want to be tonight? Are you as close to God tonight as you possibly can be? Or is there some room for improvement? I think that if we're all honest tonight, we would have to say there's probably some room for improvement. There's probably some ways in which I could draw closer to the Lord. Tonight, we're going to look at John chapter 13. If you're not there already, go to John chapter 13. And in our text, we're going to see two options, two individuals, one who chooses to draw nigh to Christ, the other chooses to reject and run from Christ. And I think we can learn lessons from both of these individuals. The first individual is the Apostle John. And he is as close, we will find in the passage, he is as close to Christ as he can get. The other option in our passage is a man named Judas. Uh, we will find Judas leaving the presence of the Lord tonight forever, never to return. John chapter 13, the, message, the title of the message tonight is a question, and that is this, John or Judas? Which one are you? John or Judas, which one are you? Let's read John chapter 13. We'll begin reading in verse number 21. John chapter 13, verse 21. The Bible says, Then Jesus had thus said. When Jesus had thus said. Okay, to catch you up to speed, what has Jesus just said? Well, Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room. We know if, you, if you've been in church any length of time, especially around this time of the year, you've probably heard this passage or other similar passages in the other Gospels preached. They're in the upper room this night. They've had the Last Supper. 
As the disciples and Jesus are finishing up their meal, they finished eating, Jesus does something unthinkable. He girds himself with a towel and picks up a basin of water and begins to go around the room and washes all 12 of his disciples' feet. And I want you to note that Judas was in the crowd. Judas was one of the disciples. And Jesus knelt and he goes around and he does Matthew and Andrew and he does Peter and he does John the Apostle and he does Judas. He does all 12 disciples. He washes their feet. After he finishes washing their feet, Jesus puts the towel away. The Bible says in verse number 12 of our text that Jesus sits down. He sits back down. And after he has seated back down himself, he begins over the next several verses to teach his disciples. What is he teaching them? What is he telling them? In short, he's telling them that he is about to be betrayed. He's telling them that he is about to be betrayed. He is going to be sold. He's going to die. He doesn't tell them who just yet, but he's about to. But he wants them to know what is to come. So when the Bible says, and when Jesus had thus said, that's what he's just finished saying. He's finished this talk, and now notice what happens next. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. I don't know if you're in the habit of underlining or highlighting in your Bible, but I have that phrase, and troubled in his spirit underlined. Because listen, here's what's taken place. Jesus has just told them all that is to come. He said, I'm about to be betrayed. I'm going to be turned in. It's going to be one of you. He quotes Psalm 49 in there, and I believe it's Psalm 49 that he quotes, and prophecy is going to be fulfilled, and God is going to be glorified, and he he says all of this stuff, and then he says, or the Bible says, that he was troubled in his spirit. Why would he be troubled? Well, you say, well, maybe it's because of his death that is to come. And I think that you might have an application to that end. But I think more than just being Jesus' death that was to come, it was the fact of who was going to betray him. I want you to notice, first of all tonight in our text, the love of Jesus. Number one, the love of Jesus. Because not only did he kneel down and wash Judas' feet knowing that Judas was going to betray him, Not only did he kneel down and and do in that day and age the ultimate act of service, washing someone's feet, he does that to the man who would betray him. The Bible says he was troubled in his spirit when he began to think about it. Judas, a man he loved, a man who had followed him, a man who had been faithful to him, a man who who had seen the miracles and seen the teachings, and he's been with Jesus, his whole earthly ministry is going to turn his back on. And the Bible says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. May I tell you tonight that when you and I, every single time you and I turn our back on God, every single time you and I reject God, you say, I'm a Christian tonight, I've accepted him. I understand that, but you understand even as Christians, we can reject God. We can reject His mercy, we can reject His fellowship, we can turn, we can run from Him. And every single time we do that, it upsets the heart of God. The word troubled here means disturbed. To reject Christ is to disturb Him. He becomes upset when you refuse to spend time with Him. Now listen, we all have been there. We've all rejected. We've all went our own way. And in those moments, we have hurt the heart of Christ. We've disturbed His heart. To reject Christ is to disturb the heart of Christ. This is a visual of how much Jesus loves Judas and how much Jesus loves us. Here's why. Because in the middle of our rejection of Him, His heart still hurts in love for us. When we're rejecting Him, when at the height of our rejection, Judas is at the height of his rejection in this moment, and at the height of Judas' rejection of Jesus Christ, His heart is cold. His heart is turned. His heart is against Jesus. In that moment, Jesus is troubled for the soul of Judas because he loves him. Now, before we're too hard on old Judas, let's be honest for a minute. Can we do that? It's in church, okay? Let's be honest for a minute. The Bible says we're all sinners, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. 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 
One more time for the people in the back. We are all sinners. Everybody's a sinner. That's all we are. We're nothing more than sinners. But God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love of Jesus Christ. His love was displayed so evidently on the cross of Calvary. And He did for you and I what nobody else could do. You see, because of our sin, we understand we are sinners. Because of our sin, we are eternally separated from God. Because God is holy and God is just and He cannot remain in the presence of sin. He cannot look upon sin. And because you are a sinner and God is holy, you have no hope of ever having a relationship with Almighty God until Jesus Christ stretched His arms out on the cross of Calvary and He connected sinful man to a holy God. And the only way that sinful man can get to God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And just what Judas rejected is available to every single person here. Judas had the opportunity on this night, and I'll prove it, we'll show it to you in the Scriptures here in just a moment. Judas had the opportunity to make it all right, but he rejected And at the height of his rejection, Jesus Christ was troubled for his soul. And said, you you had a chance, Judas. Judas, I don't want to see you do this. Judas, I don't want you to reject. I love you. May I tell us tonight that Jesus Christ loves each and every one of us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Jesus Christ wants for each one of us. His heart is troubled for your soul tonight. Do you know Him as your Savior? I hope you do. First of all, we see tonight that there is the love of Jesus. But notice, secondly, I want you to see the location of John. We'll pick back up there in verse number 21, and we'll read several verses. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Who could this be? Verse 23, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. We know him to be John the Apostle. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoning to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Now, I find this very interesting. We think of the Apostle Peter as the man who always had something to say, right? The man whose mouth was bigger than his brain. You know somebody like that? Don't raise your hand, okay? Don't point. Nobody point, okay? That's who we think of when we think of the Apostle Peter. But in this moment, Peter had nothing to say. He was silent. He didn't know what to say, so he beckoned to John. Verse 25. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord... Who is it? Two times, verse 23 and again in verse 25, we find uh, John the Apostle is mentioned as being leaning on the breast of Jesus Christ. Now, custom was in, in this time, after you had finished eating, you would lean on your left elbow and your right hand was available to speak. And so you would pretty much sit in a circle, basically, leaning on your left elbow, and then you would discuss, you would have conversation. John is on Jesus' right side. This would be the side that, uh, of honor, a side of prestige on the right. When, in fact, where is Jesus Christ seated at today? On the right hand of God the Father. Okay, this is the, this is the imagery that we're seeing. John the Apostle is seated as close to Christ as he can be. He's seated right here on the right side. Now, we don't know this for sure, but most commentators agree that Judas would have been on the left somewhere. Judas would have been somewhere on his left side. Now, I want you to get the picture tonight. Think about the upper room in your mind. We got some imagination in here. I have a little two-year-old boy. His imagination is huge. So if you don't have imagination, just imagine you're two years old, okay? And let's use some imagination tonight. I want you to picture the upper room. Jesus has just finished washing all of the disciples' feet. He is seated down again. He has leaned on his left elbow. He's back in his position. Now, I picture, can I sit down right here? Okay. I picture John, the apostle. He's sitting there and Jesus washes his feet. And he goes on around. And he does Peter's feet or, you know, Andrew's feet. And he goes all the way around and then he, he kneels down. And John looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, are you done? Jesus said, yeah, I'm, I'm finished. And John said, okay. 
and he steps around Andrew and he goes around Judas and he, he walks this way around Andrew, or I already said Andrew, anyways, one of them, and he gets over to where Jesus is at and he sits down right beside Jesus. Because I want to be as close to Jesus Christ as I can be. Any one of those other disciples, any one of them, could have been where John was. But John wanted to be close. He wanted to be as near to his Savior as he could possibly be. Now, I told you I have a little two-year-old. His name's Tucker. I love Tucker to death. He's, he's right back here in the back right now because he was being bad a little bit ago, so Mama had to take him back there. I love my little boy so much. One of the things I love about Tucker is he is a very affectionate little two-year-old. In fact, I don't know if I've ever met, and maybe I'm just biased, but I don't know if I've ever met another two-year-old boy that is as affectionate as Tucker is. He loves to give hugs. He loves to give kisses. He loves his mama and his daddy. We're his favorite people in the world. And I love Tucker so much. And he loves me. And I know he does. Last night, me and Esther went on a, we went on a little date. We had a date together that we'd been planning. And so we dropped Tucker off at Memo's house. She was going to babysit him for a couple hours, and we was going to go on a date. It's important to date your wife, by the way. And so we uh, drop him off, and we go on a date. We go get something to eat, and we spend a couple hours out just having a good time. And once we get all done and we go to pick him up, I have an image in my mind of what's going to take place. We're going to pull into the parking lot. We're going to walk inside, and Tucker's going to be all excited to see us. He's going to come running over and give me a big hug. Daddy, he's going to grab his mama and say, Mama, and he's going to give us hugs and kisses. He's going to just be so excited to see us. I can't wait to see my little boy. We pull in, and that is not at all what happened. <laughs> you would have thought that I had never seen him before. He wanted absolutely nothing to do with me or his mama. Absolutely, He completely ignored us. He wouldn't look at us. He wouldn't talk it to us. He, he acted like we was not there. But why? He didn't want to leave Memo's house. He was having a good time. He was playing with his little cars and his little truck, and he's just having the best time. And, and the little boy that's normally super loving and affectionate wanted nothing to do with me. Now, I want you to know, I was a little bit disturbed in my heart, right? I was a little bit disturbed as a dad, like, ouch, son. You could at least say hi, right? I was a little bit disturbed. But then there are days, in fact, this morning, I was holding him. And he'll, he'll come over sometimes and he'll climb up in my lap. And he'll lay his head down on my chest. and wrap his little arms around me. And he does this thing now. He's just started it not long ago. He'll take his little hand and he'll wrap it around your neck. And he'll start doing that right there. Yeah, that's exactly what my heart does. Uh -huh. He starts doing that right there on my back, on my shoulder. And... To say that it delights me would be an understatement. I become extremely delighted and joyful when he reaches around and begins to just love on his dad. What Judas did to Jesus disturbed him. But what John did to Jesus delighted him. When John said, hey, Jesus, I want to be as close to you as possible... I want to get on your chest. I want to lean on your shoulder. I want to be as close to you as I can be. It thrilled the heart of Jesus. The Bible says this in James. Draw near or draw nigh unto God, and He will draw nigh unto you. You know what that tells me Jesus wants? He wants to be close to you. And when He sees you desiring to be close to Him, it thrills His heart. Heart. It's a wonderful thing. So we see John here. The location of John is a location that is close to Jesus. It's a position that is close to Jesus. When we refuse Jesus, when we refuse Him and we push Him away, we disturb His heart. But when we draw nigh, it brings delight to Him. Now notice verse number 26. The Bible says, 
Jesus answered. We're keeping up with the story, right? They've asked the question, who is it? Peter didn't want to say anything, so he has John ask the question. John says, who is it? Here's Jesus' answer. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Dipping the sop would have been the equivalent of, of giving a cheers to somebody. It was, it was a thing of honor to do that. Um, if you wanted to honor someone at a meal, you would dip the sop and give it to them. So Jesus is, in essence, honoring Judas. But we know that uh, the conversation between him and John, that's not exactly what is going on, right? He is revealing Judas more than he is honoring Judas, but he's using this cultural way to do so. And so he tells John, I'm going to give the sop to the one who will betray me, and he dips it and gives it to Judas. Now watch what happens next. Verse 27. And after, this verse is so powerful, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. I want you to notice number three tonight, the decision of Judas. The decision of Judas. Satan is not particular on who he enters. Satan does not care who he takes control of. Given the opportunity in your life, he will take control of your life. Given an area of your life, he will gladly take control of that area of your life. Satan is not particular on who he enters into. And in our passage, Judas gave him an opportunity to enter into him. And Satan took the opportunity. Satan took the opportunity quick. He jumped right on it. Judas was not believing yet. Judas was rejecting Jesus Christ. Judas has heard the message. Judas knew what was right, but he wasn't sure yet about this Jesus. He had some doubts still. And Satan saw an opportunity to take it. Now listen to me, even right here in our county, all over our nation, right here in Hillsville, Virginia, there are people who Satan has entered. I'm not being mean, I'm being honest. Satan has entered them. He has bound them up in sin. He has bound them up in addictions. He has bound them up in immorality. He has bound them up by the things that they feel like they have no control over because he saw an opportunity and he took it. Satan enters into Judas. The last part of verse 27. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some thought, some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of uh, against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. The disciples, and this is fascinating to me, the disciples had no idea what Jesus meant. He has just told them, the one who I give the sop to is the one who will betray me. He gives the sop to Judas, and the disciples cannot believe it. The disciples say there's absolutely no way. It cannot be Judas. Why would they say that? Because Judas was a good faker. Here's the truth of the matter. There are people outside of these walls and in our community and in our town and in, in our county that are bound up by the devil. But it's not just outside the church walls. It's happening inside the church just as much as it does outside. We have church people who come to church on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, maybe even you're here on a Tuesday night. You know the Bible. You've heard the teachings of Jesus. You know what the Bible says. You've seen prayers be answered. You've seen miracles happen. You know that the God of the Bible is powerful. But you still have doubts in your mind. The devil has bound you up because you gave him a stronghold and now he's got you trapped in a sin that you feel like you can never get the victory over. You've given him a stronghold and now he keeps your body so anxious and worried that you don't know if you'll ever have victory over it. You're constantly in a state of depression. 
Because you've allowed the devil to get a stronghold in your life. And if I was to ask anybody in here how you were as a Christian, they would rave about you. They're a great Christian. They come to church all the time. They, I see them give money in the offering plate. They're committed. They're devoted. Even Pastor Joe might be able to say, they're one of my best members. They're a great church member. They encourage me all the time. But if we was to look at the purity of your heart tonight, we would see that there is a stronghold that the devil has been able to take hold of and you feel trapped and you feel bound up by it tonight all of the disciples every one of them said not Judas Judas is a good man Judas is the most honest of us all he keeps the money it couldn't possibly be Judas and they begin to make excuses for him and say no way it couldn't be but Jesus knew Judas's heart and he said it's you Judas and Judas knew Judas's heart now look at verse number 30. The saddest part of the whole story tonight. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. The best way to drive the devil out of your life is to draw near to Jesus Christ. The best way to drive out the devil's stronghold in your life is to draw near to Jesus Christ in your life. But here's what Judas did instead. He's in the presence of the Lord. His sin is revealed to him. And instead of repenting, I, I believe that God saves all sinners. If Judas in that moment would have repented, said, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this, I, I believe you are the Messiah, Jesus would have forgiven him just like he had forgiven so many people before. But Judas didn't do that. In the presence of the Lord, his sin has been revealed to him, and Judas chose to leave. He got up, and he walked out of the room, and he would never be in the presence of the Lord again. That was the last time. His life was ruined. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and then he would go commit suicide by hanging himself. Judas made the final decision to reject Jesus Christ while Jesus Christ was arms outstretched saying, Judas, don't do this. Don't do this. You're in my presence. Your sin has been revealed. Just repent. Just get it right and we can go forward. But Judas left. Here's what I want you to think about tonight. You've been to church all your life. This is just another church service to some of you. You know the book. You know the hymns. You know what's supposed to be done. and You know how you're supposed to do it. And you can pick out a hypocrite like nobody's business. You see a sinner walk in those doors and you're the first one to spot them. But in the quietness of your heart, you know something's wrong. You know there's something between your soul and the Savior. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you walk in you sit in the same seat like all Baptists do. You listen to the message. You enjoy the presence of the Lord. Until the pastor gets to the end and he says, here's your problem. Do you want to get it right? Your sin has been revealed and you're in the presence of God. You grip the pew in front of you and you wait until the final amen. And then you stand up and you walk out those doors the same exact way you walked in. It happens in churches all across America. Something's between your heart and the Lord Jesus Christ. We say we want revival, right? That's what we're here for. We say we want revival. We want God to do a work in our life. We want God to do miracles in our county. We want to see the, the strongholds that the devil has released. But listen, if he's got us inside the walls, then how in the world are we supposed to impact those people outside of the walls? If we're not willing to repent and get right before God inside, how are we supposed to tell them that they're supposed to repent and get right outside? I love the old song that says, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, Christians don't typically lie, but they do go to church and sing them. Oh, how often have we sang that song? Nothing between my soul and the Savior. We wear the nice coat and we can put on, the, we can fix our hair nice and we can smell nice and oh yeah, we know how to be religious. 
But all the while, we're hiding in the deepest corner of our hearts a sin, a bitterness, an anxiety, a worry, a fear. We've allowed the devil to hold on to us. And I wonder tonight how many Christians would say, I'm tired of hiding it. I want revival more than anything else. I want God to be evident in my life more than anything else. Nothing matters to me more than being to know God, being at one with Jesus Christ. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. John or Judas, which one do you identify with more tonight? At the beginning, you probably said John. But I'm afraid that if we're honest with ourselves, most Christians identify more with Judas than we do with John. How close to God are you tonight? How close to God do you want to be? Is it closer than where you are right now? Let's stand. Everyone stand across the building tonight. I want you to look right up at me. I want you to be honest with God, honest with yourself, honest with your pastor for just a moment. How many of you, and my hand is the first to go up, would say, I could be closer to God than I am right now? How many of you would leave that hand up and say, as a testimony, I want to be closer to God than I am right now? All right, if your hand's up right now, I'm going to ask you, don't wait, don't, don't talk about it, don't think about it. You come down here and you tell God you want to be closer to Him. Just come on, don't wait. Don't wait. I don't know how y'all do invitations here, but just come talk to him. Come tell him. I want to be close. I want nothing more than you. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. I want revival in my life. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. We'll take our time. We'll talk to the Lord tonight. He wants to be close to you. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you.